It shows up in all the statistics, but we rarely see it as it is happening. Still, the results are visible all around us. More men than women at executive meetings. Few women in hard hats at construction sites. More male floor managers and more women cashiers. Too often, we don't dwell on it. We watch television shows and see an equal balance of male and female detectives, surgeons, and lawyers. We take comfort in the thought that life must be imitating art. Maybe not in our community, but surely somewhere close by. Every now and then, though, each of us gets a stark, jolting glimpse of discrimination against women in all its raw ugliness. Discrimination that continues to seep unchallenged into the very fabric of American life. At these moments, we know in our hearts that the statistics are true, that the problems persist. I was first elected to Congress after the women's movement had battled for three decades to secure hard-won rights for women in the workforce. Major civil rights victories for women in the workplace had been scored while I was still a teenager. The Equal Pay Act of 1963 established as law the principle of equal pay for equal work. In 1964, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act made it illegal to discriminate on the basis of sex, race, color, religion, or national origin. In 1967, President Lyndon B. Johnson issued an executive order that extended affirmative action requirements to the hiring of women as well as minorities. In 1972, Title IX guaranteed women equal access to education, including extracurricular activities, leading to a huge increase in women college graduates entering law, medicine, and non-traditional fields of study and work. In the 1970s, women need not apply job descriptions fell by the wayside, and women were finally able to get credit in their own names. In 1978, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act barred employers from firing, refusing to hire, and not promoting women because of pregnancy or related conditions. By the end of the 1980s, it was no longer a novelty, although it was and still is a rarity, to see women construction workers standing on the beams of hotels as they were being built in addition to making the beds after the hotels opened welding cars on factory floors, as well as taking dictation, and working in the cockpits of commercial airlines, as well as in the cabins. These advances, along with major shifts in cultural attitudes, brought women in the workforce substantial advances that enriched our lives, enhanced our self-esteem, created strong new role models for our daughters, and made our society more equitable, productive, and dynamic. But all is not well. In the mid to late 1990s, as glossy magazines churned out cheerful stories about flexibility, family-friendly workplaces, anecdotally, I wasn't seeing it. Women kept telling me that their employers were demanding more and more. Working mothers seemed to be having the hardest time. They were being passed over for promotions, marginalized if they asked for a flexible or part-time schedule, and fired first in the growing number of downsizings. I was also hearing stories about pressure being put on employees to work longer, less family-friendly hours. Globalization requires companies to compete around the clock, so employees increasingly are asked to be available around the clock. The workplace seemed to be placing more and more value on ideal workers, a phrase coined by Joan Williams, professor of law and director of the Center for Work-Life Law at the University of California Hastings College of the Law in San Francisco.